This is Spartanburg Women in Medicine podcast. In this show, you meet the incredible women in medicine of our community and hear their stories. of uh, the SWIM podcast. In this episode, uh, you're meeting another member of our SWIM community. And uh, for people who are new, this is the flow we follow is where we um, have our guest talk about their professional life and what they do and um, what duties and roles they play. And then any history uh, with SWIM, if they've had uh, since they've been in this community, then uh, we go over their self-care um, self-care tips or how um, they manage that part of their lives um, and being a physician. And uh, lastly, and most importantly, we will go over um, their uh, message to their younger selves and, of course, uh, any wisdom they have uh, to impart to the rest of the community from being a physician. Um, so, with the, um, you know, without further delay, I would like to welcome uh, Dr. Saoyan Wan. Welcome. How are you doing today? Thank you, Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be here. Uh, Thank you for inviting me. It's, it's uh, you know, the honor is mutually uh, felt. We are very happy to be here, uh, for you to be a part of our podcast. So, um how are you doing? How tell us about uh, the community about yourself? What do you do professionally? What what roles do you play? Uh, well, I I am uh, currently an intensivist at the Spartanburg Regional Hospital. Um, I'm a full time intensivist over there. I have been in uh, Spartanburg Regional Hospital for thirteen years. Uh, the first part of my life, I was a, a pulmonologist and uh, um, at that time, I, I would go to the hospital, but after about three years or so, I was really heavily involved in the, um, the ICU care over there because that was and still is my interest. And right about three years ago, I become a full-time intensivist uh, with Spalmer Regional Hospital. Mm-hmm. So you're right in the thick of things with all this pandemic going. How has that been for you over the last year? Almost now. I have to say it was challenging, really challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, to be honest, at the beginning, I was not sure that, you know, we were going to have such a big, huge pandemic. Well, maybe I should say I was hoping this would be like the previous um, SARS where it did not really uh, spread mm-hmm. um that quickly and that widely. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. I think I was very, very um, grateful that we have the experience from our colleague outside of the United States. Mm-hmm. I remember back in March and April, um, intensely talking to my colleague um, in Singapore and, and looking online in, in the data from Europe, trying to learn this disease before it spreads to us. I think the experience in New York City also gave us a lot of time to prepare ourselves for it. 
Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, it was still very, very tough. I have to say, I did not, I could never imagine that I would go through a pandemic as an intensivist. Mm-hmm. And um, there were a lot of things that we didn't know and that we have to learn. Mm-hmm. And that was really part of the challenge that we had. Mm-hmm. Because back in March, aside from being a doctor, you are constantly trying to update yourself with the new data mm-hmm. that, that comes out to make sure that you know how to treat those patients. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, we have to learn how to allocate our resources. Mm-hmm. So that was never part of my job, or I never learned that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so we have intense meeting mm-hmm. every day, and depending on the situations, we um, obviously have to come up with plans to accommodate the, the patients with a fear that we're going to one day be like New York City. Mm-hmm. And of course, there was the challenge of the supplies. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot about the supply chain in the hospitals. It, it wasn't as easy as I thought it would be. And of course, everyone was looking for the same supply, so there was shortage. Mm-hmm. Um, that was another challenge that we have to learn. And I think practicing different medicine, long hours of not being able to talk to the family in person, mm-hmm. many hours of phone calls. Mm-hmm. And those phone calls are usually very long. Mm-hmm. They are very difficult to to convey our message because you, you just don't have enough data and there were a lot of, there were not a lot of trust. The phone calls to the patients, you mean patients' families? The family. Yeah. The patients' family. Lots right. of phone calls. So you know, before you you take care, you focus on take, taking care of the patients, and then you see you meet with the patient's family, and many times updating them. But you know, they have a lot of questions, mm-hmm. so they have a lot of questions when you call them, and the phone calls become really long. And of course, the pa- the patients with the the viruses are extremely ill. Mm-hmm. Um, I I. I I could not remember that many patients that we prone in one day wow. and they are high intensity and, and, and they're, they are very demanding for mm-hmm. the nurses and for the rest of the therapists. So this, you know, I, I think um, you are an ideal person to ask, what were you doing to manage your own, you know, stress during this time? Because ultimately, you have to be the most clear-headed and rested and make, making sure you're making all the best decisions, using all the available data to treat these extremely sick patients. How are you managing all that? I mean, that almost seems like superhuman effort at some, you know, at, at some level. Um, I think I've, I have been through periods. Uh, um, so some, from March until now, so the very beginning was um fear stress mm-hmm. anxiety mm-hmm. and um it, it was just very intense in in just professional life and in my personal life because you also are very worried about your family mm-hmm. while you want to perform your duty um you you're worried that you are the person who will bring the, the disease to your family i have my mom living with me so She's my biggest fear, of course, my two young children. And I had, um, at that time, did not have time to really think about myself. Mm-hmm. It was, how did I take, how should I take care of my patients? How should I take care of my family? 
at one point I was intensely looking at options as far as moving out mm-hmm. and live outside of the, the household because I was worried. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, we never got to that point. I, I have to say that I was very, very uh, glad that the somewhat of a mask mandate mm-hmm. um, happened eventually, I think maybe around May or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and by that time, we had had time to kind of figure out how to actually use our own resources to utilize um, the PPE, mm-hmm. the personal protective equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, uh, believe it or not, the hospital has started um, making our own wipes. Mm-hmm. I've seen them actually done from, you know, uh, just just a, a little cup with with some fluid and liquid in it that they tell you it's sterile to now what look like a professional um, right at, yeah. in the hospital. So that that comes a long way and um, so and also our PPE because we didn't get enough supply from outside, so we have the uh, reusable, the laundrable mm-hmm. uh, um, gown that we use. Mm-hmm. So. Um, after we get through all that, and I felt like, well, uh, we've done this for two months, mm-hmm. we can do it. So you finally feel a little control of the situation. Um, so I did, fortunately did not end up have to leave the the family alone because, truthfully, right now thinking about it, I would not have known how long I would I have to leave my family given that the pandemic is still going on. Yeah, but at that time, that was the thought. Um, so really by about May or June, um, we kind of quieted down. I was doing my own self isolations. Um, and at the time I was going through the phases of resting. Mm. That was when I really felt like I needed to rest. And also there wasn't anything else that I could do. I, before the pandemic, I exercise when I'm off, I will go to the gym. I do all kind of exercise and I travel. Mm-hmm. And the pandemic completely knocked out my my way of releasing my my stress. Mm. So I literally just stay at home, and um, really, my two children are my joy. So I, I play with them. They are my buddies, and they are still, you know, they still enjoy, you know, me staying at home. And um, at that time, I was watching so many TV shows. It's, it's unbelievable. I <laughs> I've never had so much time to catch up on those TV shows, you know, before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I would have to say, up to about two months ago, I felt like, you know, I can't go on like this mm-hmm. because if, you know my health is not is going to go down the hill if I if I don't start go back on exercising. So um, I bought a bicycle. Okay, um, so now I'm riding bicycles, I'm running in the park, mm-hmm. um, not quite as intense as before mm-hmm. because of the knee problem. I used to run a lot, but I can't anymore. At least I'm outside. So mm-hmm. since we have kind of lifted the, the lockdown, what we mm-hmm. say, so we were able to go uh, hiking, walk in the park, um, cycling, and, and when my son is in the park, I run around him. So I feel like I'm trying to really pick up the exercise and really get back to a routine again um, to feel better about myself and about my health and about everything. Yeah, well, yeah. And I think um, just hearing your 
way to figure out how do I manage? And, you know, when you don't take care of yourself, then you don't feel well. You know, it catches up after some time. It's been a tough transition, but also with the, you know, interesting experience of spending more time with the family, doing things you didn't do before, like watching too much TV when you're day, in your day off because they can't go outside without feeling worried. And, and I think for me, the transition of, you know, not feeling anxious all the time came and I realized this PPE works, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, otherwise you, it was just scary. I don't know if I'm bringing the disease home or so that PPE, the effectiveness of that really kind of calm my nervous system down. Yeah, I, I told, I totally agree. And, you know, I, I felt like you know, there, there, there was a lot of behavior change, um, you know, uh, lots of washing hands and, and wearing the mask and constantly, um, and be aware of the surrounding. You know, if you touch something, you contend, you contaminate it and you just don't touch it again. Mm -hmm. So I, I do feel the same way that, you know, six months down the road, um, fortunately, my colleague in, in Asia have gotten, uh, gotten it under control. And now they are looking back at us and asking me how we are doing. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it just turned around and in not a good way, but, you know, we, yeah. We are at where we are. Yeah. In, a, in one way, the behavior has changed forever now. I don't think we're going to ever go back to not wearing a mask, you know, at least for a while, you know. That's right. Yeah. And I remember traveling to Japan a few years ago, and I, I was surprised how many people wore masks in public. And I think that's what's going to happen to the rest of the world. We are all going to start to wear masks like normal you know i yes i do think that it is cultural and also it's, it's experience because like the same thing you know coming from um information from my family my friends and uh, outside the united states especially in asia when you ask them you know how do you feel about it it they they really have learned a lesson from sars Mm. So they've been through the scare before, and, and that's what they told me. They say, you know, we've been through it before. It kills so many people. At that time, we wear a mask, and this time, there's no difference. So it's not much of a behavior change. Or for, no. But that's right for the public. Mm. You know, even if they have a little sneeze, if they have, if they don't feel well, or they feel like, you know, there's too much pollution, mm. they will wear a mask. <laughs> but for over here, it's a major change in behavior. Yeah. Wow. Well, thanks for sharing. Um, I think uh, it helps to hear from, you know, someone who's right there in the trenches and actually how we're managing the most prominent system that was affected by this virus that was the lungs, you know. Um, for us, it was the kidneys were affected regardless and the lungs go down, everything gets affected. But still, um, I think uh, everybody was looking at up to our intensivists, our critical care pulmonary uh, docs to see how are they managing, what is, how, you know, how do they feel after this experience? It's probably in a way almost practice changing experience, I would think, you know, the way you're met, you know, you probably got this super duper crash course in ARDS management, right? And somebody did a rotation this year. <laughs> Well, I will tell you that I have. This is such a peculiar 
amazing yeah. disease. It doesn't just affect the lung, mm -hmm. it affects systemically. Mm -hmm. Personally, this is a disease to me, this is a disease of, uh, of the vasculatures. Mm -hmm. So it affects your vasculatures, hence it affects every single organ. Yeah. I, you know, there are so, we have so many records breaking in, during this six months of pandemic. We have a board. We have a board that we wrote down because you've never seen such a bad uh, high minute ventilations where they, where they have uh, such a low pH, high PCO2. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was just amazing the extraordinary things that, that happened mm -hmm. um, with the patients. Um, so again, like, like I say, it's it, in many ways, I, I wish that it didn't happen this way, but it was eye opening and it was still very um, fascinating mm. seeing how this disease evolved. And, mm. and, you know, many times you hear it in the book and people describe it and you would never say it in the real life. Mm. This disease, though, however, whatever that has been described in the book, we have seen it in real life. Wow. So so much more applicable as far as the science behind this. And that's what's amazing compared to many years ago when you read, you know, the medical medicine book. Mm -hmm. These are the things that you hear people describe. But in this modern medicine, because things are moving so fast and we are so much better and the science come up so quickly and the science behind it actually match up with what you see clinically. Mm -hmm. And that is very amazing to me. And, and the good part is you can utilize those signs to treat the patients. Mm. Yeah, I think if you think about the whole medical community, every, you know, the vaccine, who would knew the vaccine could come out so quickly? You know, a lot of the traditional ways of thinking of how we manage disease and how much time it takes for us to figure out treatments because of the necessity of quicker response and quicker understanding everybody's been putting in their best effort, all experts all around the world, trying to collect data, trying to understand how to treat, what, what to do, what's next. In fact, American Society of Nephrology has a separate section on COVID-related AKI. Every week we get a new <laughs> publication about this is what we're seeing in the COVID-related AKI. This is what we are dealing with, with COVID-related you know, kidney injury or acid-base imbalance, all those kind of things. Wow. Yeah, I think we can, you know, this has been the hottest topic of the century so far, you know, so we can keep going on and on, but um, let's let's go do something a little less, uh, let's change pace and go to um, swim. How do you, how, you know, we, we, we talked about it before we started this, uh, uh, you know, recording. Uh, tell us about your experience with uh, the women in medicine in Spartanburg, how have you been to any of our meetings? How did you come across it? How has that been for you? So I am very ashamed to admit that I have not been to any of the uh, meeting, uh, in-person meeting. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, you know, I feel I'm giving excuses, but I'll tell you my reason. Mm -hmm. um, SWIM is one of the those uh, committees that someone just randomly told me when I first started. Mm -hmm. um, I mentioned that before when I first started, I was in the in the office, the private office, um, extremely busy running inpatient and outpatient medicine. Mm -hmm. um, so someone randomly just came across and uh, come to me and say, "Hey, you are new in town," and I 
I was the only female pulmonologist. I still am the only female pulmonologist and intensivist in town. So I was really glad. I was really glad that um, this was brought up to me. So I, I, I joined at the time and um, I really didn't have time to go to uh, a lot of a meeting. For one thing, I did not know a lot of the women mm-hmm. uh, at the meeting. And secondly, I was single at that time. So I had a lot of uh, outside interest mm-hmm. um, that that I would go do when I have free time. Mm-hmm. So I, I really never was involved in 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 swims or any activities um that I had. However, I have always been in touch or I'm I've always known all the great things that Swim has done. Mm-hmm. Um all the meeting that is sent out and everything just it, it looked great every time they have a meeting. It was mm-hmm. always the, the nice venue, the nice food uh, and really I'm becoming more and more familiar with Swim lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like they are actually um, more involved in, in medicines, uh, not, I'm sorry, in, in politics now mm-hmm. that I was, you know, I, I was really impressed by it. Mm-hmm. I was really impressed by it. And uh, now that I'm in the hospital, knowing more of the women who is in swim medicine, you uh, and uh, Dr. Amici, mm-hmm. um, in fact, I have heard so many um I've seen so many letters and seen, have so many things from Dr. Amy Barouge. And um, I, lately, in the last two years, was the first time I've seen her in person. <laughs> so I think being in the hospital and, and working in the hospital have gave, given me the opportunity to really know all these women and prominent women in medicine as well. They are really inspiring. Um, I, believe it or not, I, I have no other... Um, I'm not very ambitious. I just wanted to be a doctor and I am a doctor now. So it, it, I have never really thought about, wow, what do you do next? But all this woman has inspired me. And I feel like I'm at a point in my life that maybe I really need to start thinking about what's the next step of my, of my career and of my life mm-hmm. because of all this woman um, that I've seen them done and, and, you know, it's it's very rewarding. Not that my job is not rewarding. Mm-hmm. It is just that you know, I I think that having a goal in life can really help you um, keep you motivated. Yeah, no, I I just when I I am you know newer to this area, just about four years and. Um, I really, you know, I had some experience with the women in medicine during my residency in Philadelphia. So I was just amazed. Uh, I love just sitting there and listening to everybody's stories and sharing. You know, some people have been in the medical field for 20 years. You know, some people are like you. So just for me, that whole experience, um, that interaction and, you know, that to me was very um attractive because you know like you said when we are free we want to go do something and enjoy ourselves do our hobbies you know interest and sometimes when you are moving because of your job you don't have friends and that's kind of one of the reasons you just do whatever you like to do on your free time you know and this was I thought well isn't this nice that this is such an active community and I I can actually meet like-minded people here and have uh 
you know, build friendships and build connections and network and really, and just see how people are doing. Different people have different experiences. Like, you know, uh, Dr. Um, Amy Baruch, she is, uh, she founded this community, you know, she's in the leadership position, in several leadership positions. She's, it's so inspiring to see her do her work, you know, so I, I find it very cool. It is very inspiring <laughs> to me I, personally. I agree. The first time I heard uh, her podcast, I was like, wow. Yeah. I, you know, everything that I say that I'm done, I'm not doing because of my family are just excuses because she has families, you know, she, she, she has so many things on the plate and yet she's so actively involved and, and, and able to take care of everything so well. Um, that really it's uh, inspiring, like I say. Um, mm-hmm. and, and really, I, I feel like I have been honored to, you know, to, to be invited to, to this podcast. And also lately, I, I think that people are looking to me to see if there's anything that, you know, we can do to improve the systems and, and, and really extend beyond my roles as a doctor. Yeah, um, especially with this pandemic, looking at the supply chain, looking at the logistics behind running a, a very efficient critical care unit and addressing. And, you know, I mean, these kind of events are like once in a lifetime events. And some people have never experienced these kind of events, you know, how to manage a pandemic sort of situation. So, yeah, I think... Uh, my feeling is as doctors, we are trained to be leaders and think about all these things, but we sometimes don't realize that we can apply it beyond just medical disease management, you know, we, because we are so restrictive or so focused there, but we do have the, all the qualities needed to be leaders in our um, chosen field. Um, and of course, and then comes preference, you know, some people really enjoy that kind of role. And some people like to work more behind the scenes. Um, but, you know, um, in this community, yes, there are very, you know, highly achieving women. And then there are people who are, you know, I think we, we all kind of celebrate wherever people are, you know. And because we all have to honor our role. You're, you're a mom. You're a physician, you know. You're the only critical care specialist in Spartanburg uh, that is in itself, um, you know, these are very important roles that you're playing already. So, but well, yeah. You know, I'm so glad that SWIM actually provides me a platform mm-hmm. to go to when you don't know what to do. That's yeah. one thing that, you know, when people look at you and expect you to know the answer to everything, I really don't. And, mm-hmm. and I think SWIM provided that platform for me to go and ask and, and, and learn from other women who have been through it before. So that really is a strong backup for somebody who wants to think about their futures, think about their, you know, what they want to do differently than what they are doing right now. Oh yeah, yeah. I think this is an amazing resource for everybody. Well, thank you for sharing your thoughts. That really helps. Um, I'm sure, um, you know, people who are not familiar with SWIM will really benefit from your personal experience, even though you've not been actively in in the meetings, but at least you know of SWIM and how it's impacting you already. That's a great thing to hear about. 
All right. I think we are on to our section of, you know, so many years in, after med school. What do you think has changed for you? What do you think was like, aha, I didn't, you know, this was so important. I wish I knew this when I was graduating. You know, <laughs> what do you think you would tell your younger self today? Um, this really is, is a very tough question. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I would tell my younger self to be less stubborn. <laughs> um, but I feel like I'm still very stubborn. <laughs> So, you know, I feel like there are things you learn along the way. You wish you've done differently. Uh, I was pretty, very much a, a black and white person. So if, if, if I think this is the right things to do, then you forgot about, you know, there are so, there, there's, there's not absolute. Mm-hmm. Any, anything has a flip side. Yeah. So my younger self was, like a ball of fire, I would say. <laughs> okay. um, so I really wish I could be less like that. But I do feel like, you know, some part of me appreciate that, back, that ball of fire. Mm-hmm. Because that is what helped you get to where you are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have, I remember when I was in training that... I was told by some people or some other specialty, you know, don't, don't do this, don't do that. And then it, it, it resulted in a very bad outcome on my patient. Mm. So I had learned from that at that time to stand up for myself and be stubborn for that patient. Mm. So in, in many ways, I feel like, you know, this stubbornness have done me some good. Mm. So, I don't want to be stubborn anymore, but however, I feel like some some part of me still wants to hold on to it because mm-hmm. I think that there's still some benefit. Mm-hmm. That I thought. think it's the balance of the yin and yang, you know? You need the yang to go get things done, fight for your patient, but you also need a little bit of like reflection and taking everything in, thinking about the pros and cons and knowing that there are grays and you know, and there are certain things. That's such a cool advice. I, that is really, really cool. I, um, I see how, and I think that is kind of what comes with maturity, but it is an important thing. I feel personally, I think in medicine, we, we do not pay attention to that. We celebrate the yank so much, the left brain, figuring out disease, this causes this and this causes that, and this we are treating. We don't, and we don't acknowledge the, the feminine, the softer, the yin side of medicine, which is to just listen, allow yourself to reflect, you know, um, and that could help us and also our patient because we are more, uh, you know, we are not trying to be like a robot, you know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because I think, you know, in, in a way I feel like, um, People, I, I've had patients who expect me to be like a robot, remember everything, put everything out there, press it, <laughs> like tell them everything. And I said, well, that is just not how this works. You know, human beings are so complex and I think medicine needs to mature and become more human so we can address both sides. So cool. I was just thinking about today, that today. And, you know, so this episode, I know we're recording this episode early, but it will be released in the year 2021. Believe me, that's coming, you know, and it's 
going to be there, there when we release it. So what are your aspirations? Anything that comes to mind when you think about the new year? Um, I think that I think that, that my aspirations or probably is 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 very common aspirations really. Mm-hmm. There's really no aspiration, I guess I wanted to say it, because I think that it's, it was the little things in life they're so hard to achieve. Mm-hmm. You know, little things in life, staying healthy, mm-hmm. take care of yourself, wishing your family happy and healthy and be positive. Mm-hmm. And it, it really is everybody's little things in life. Yeah. And traveling, mm-hmm. you know, and enjoying your friends. And I think that there's one thing that we always forget. Mm-hmm. I think this pandemic has made, has really magnified all these small little things to the greatest and how important they are because when everything fell apart, mm. that's the only thing you have. Mm. Your family, your friends, yeah. your health. Mm-hmm. So that's what I want for next year. Wow, that's great. Well, thank you. I wish everybody um, the best, uh, happiest, healthiest connected, loving, new year, and new year 2021. I hope we are all more compassionate and more um, mindful of our own needs, our patients' needs, our family needs, and just move forward in that uh, cohesive direction in this um, very honorable profession of medicine. And uh, with that, we will come to a close. And I hope you enjoyed our episode with Dr. Wan. She's our favorite. She, we really love her. And uh, I hope you, uh, you will, I'm sure, run into her when you come to the hospital. And we'll meet you again in a month. I promise I will see everybody in person. We are able to meet you. Whenever that